0: I want to take a, a few moments this morning and share with you on the on the theme of keep it burning keep it burning our call as a body of believers and you've heard this said quite a few times if you've been around at all that is to is to steward revival is to is to be a place where revival that God wants to do something spectacular in this place to reach the region to reach the nation to reach the world now How many of you have been involved in church for more than uh, 10 or 12 years? Maybe 10, let's say 10 years. Right, okay. So oftentimes, if you're like me, when I heard the word revival, I had a definition associated with that word. It was typically a, a, a special preacher that we would invite to come to the church for a series of meetings, and it would begin on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Anybody talking about? We're going to have a spring revival. And the preacher would come. If you were really fortunate, he would be in a polyester suit with his, with his, with his, with his ha- um, hair slicked back. And he would put four syllables in the word God. And then you know you're having revival. So if that's your idea of revival, this is not what we're talking about. This is not a true revival. What God wants to do here, I dare say, is something unique. And most of us have never experienced to date what the Lord desires to do and is doing right now. It's something brand new. So we got to let go of those type of definitions and say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Now, let me also quantify revival by saying this is not a three-day event, but revival is deeply personal, and it's beyond the four walls of this place. Sometimes revival has been defined, oh, God's moving in a series of meetings in such-and-such place over there, and those are great, but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a revival that's not just a corporate revival, but it begins in our individual hearts, where revival is taking place inside of you, and therefore you take revival wherever you go. What set the early believers apart in the book of Acts was revival wasn't limited just to Jerusalem, into the upper room, but it was wherever they went even if they were like a Philip fleeing persecution, he had revival wherever he went. And thus they turned the whole region upside down. And each of us today are sitting in a chair as a result of those 120 believers. We're all here because of them, because they took revival wherever they went. This is the kind of revival that God is doing here. This is why you're here. This is why I'm here. This is why the story of Newbridge church is being written to tell such a story because at the end of the day, nobody's gonna remember the word or the words at Newbridge. They're gonna remember the word, wow, God moved so powerfully. Because it's not about us, it's about advancing his kingdom. And when we think about revival, no matter how many evangelists you invite, no matter what the hairdo looks like, no matter how you pronounce the word God, that's really irrelevant because guess what? We cannot create revival. We cannot create revival really in me or anywhere. I can't create it. I can't make it happen. Don't you have people in your life that you wish you could just make get saved? You wish you could just like hold them down the floor and just force feed Jesus right into them because you know that's exactly what they need? It doesn't work that way, does it? In other words, it is a a sovereign work of the Spirit. We can't create revival, but we are called to sustain revival, to have an atmosphere of revival. Part of your Christian journey of my Christian journey is the task of learning what my part is and what God's part is, and not to confuse the two. Because the problem is, if we start trying to do what God's supposed to do, we're going to end up in trouble. We're going to get out in front of things. We're going to fall into religion, perhaps. Or if we expect God to do things that we're supposed to be doing, it's not going to be effectual. We're not going to bear much fruit. Understanding my part and God's part is the summation of your journey with Jesus on this planet. Lord, what are you doing? What am I supposed to do in harmony with what you're doing? We can't create revival, yet we have a responsibility to sustain revival and have an atmosphere that is conducive of revival. We don't create fire. Ever tried to make fire? I mean, listen, you watch those guys rubbing those little sticks together? I mean, even, even then, if you don't have the sticks, you can't do it. I can't sit here and I can't produce fire. Some of us, spend times rubbing sticks together trying to produce fire. Just, man, that was like a, an enormous task. We can't make fire. God makes fire because God in himself, by character, is a what? A consuming fire. But there is a part we have to play is to what? Feed the fire. Grow the fire. Protect the fire of God. And see, God is releasing his fire here, not here geographically, but here within our hearts. Because if revival doesn't begin here, what out there is just a poser. It, it's, not, it's not real. It's not, it's not authentic. It begins inside of us and bubbles out of us. We talked about Wednesday night that God always precedes assignment with identity. Identity should always precede assignment. Hear me? Identity should always precede assignment. This is a really strong word because if you're here Wednesday night, you know we were we were talking about that how many of us get very fixated on what God has called us to do. The assignment aspect, right? Where, God, what what do you want me to do? What what job is it? I'm, who should I marry? Or where should I live? Or, or should I do this investment? And we get called up in the litany of, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God, says, I'm not so much concerned about your assignment. I'm more concerned about your identity. Because out of identity will flow your assignment. The whole purpose of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, was to get 120 people in the room and establish their identity before the Spirit of God released them into the assignment. The danger is, is getting released into the assignment prior to establishing our identity. Are you catching it? Because you're looking at somebody who operated a lot out of my assignment and not out of my identity. And you know what happens when you operate out of your assignment and not out of your identity? you're gonna wear yourself out. It's gonna be burdensome, it's gonna be tiresome. So in the brilliance of divine wisdom through the words of Jesus in his resurrected state, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem. And we hear that story in Acts chapter two and many of us gravitate, oh yeah, that's when they spoke in tongues, that's when they stumbled out and acted like people who were drunk. We get lost in that aspect of it. Yeah, that was going on, but what was really going on? As Paul Harvey would say, what was the rest of the story there? Watch page two. What was really going on? I can tell you what was going on. The Holy Spirit was establishing their identity before he sent them out. The Holy Spirit came upon them way beyond speaking in tongues and way beyond the gifts. And We get so superficial in our understanding of Acts chapter 2. What was really happening was uh, Romans chapter 8 that says the Holy Spirit has come to shed the love of God abroad in our heart. God was baptizing them in love and identity. Because they were getting ready to go out of the doors of that upper room and face a very hostile environment to their faith. And they'd have to know who who they are and who they belong to to be able to do that. You tracking with me? A lot of us in church have gotten fixated more on the assignment than the identity. When you get your identity, all of a sudden your assignment becomes very crystal clear and you're able to hear what God has called you to do and you experience something called his burden and his yoke for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you can begin to work through what God has called you to do with the grace to be able to do it. If you're not experiencing the grace of God to do what God has called you to do, I dare say you have an identity problem, not an assignment problem. Get your identity right and your assignment comes. So part of what the Spirit of God is doing in revival is bringing revival into our hearts to change our identity. And then we have a responsibility then to keep our hearts in such a fashion and have an atmosphere conducive for personal revival and corporate revival and to see God move in ways you can't imagine. And I can sit here and tell you story after story. of We're seeing pastors, the most um, unlikely pastors, the most unlikely churches come together praying for revival shocking what the spirit of god is doing in this region and across this country the lord is setting the table spiritually in this country setting the table in the presence of his enemies because god is getting ready to show off and show off his bride without spot or blemish to a lost and dying world it's happening we're on the cusp of it we're seeing it And it's coming. It's coming like a river, like a torrent, like a fire. And God says, for those of you that can embrace his move, those of you that can create an atmosphere to steward what he's doing, all the days ahead are going to be phenomenal. And it's not going to be defined by the context of these four walls. It's going to be defined when you walk into your office. It's going to be defined when you talk to the person in the cubicle next to you. It's going to happen when you stand in front of the classroom. It's going to happen when you interact with the neighbor down the street. It's just going to bubble out of you. It's going to be effortless. Because the Spirit of God is flowing out of you and not trying to dip from the bottom of the barrel, but out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. See, being a vessel of revival is not contrived and doesn't require a great deal of effort. It's just effortless when you're experiencing revival. He is just where you are and the kingdom of God goes with you. Amen? Don't you want that? Yeah. To be ready for that? To be, to be prepared to raise the sail and catch the wind of what God is, is doing? Well, believe it or not, Scripture has a lot to say how we can can begin to do this. So when you think about revival, what book immediately comes to mind? Leviticus. You got it right. Leviticus. (laughs) Nobody picked Leviticus for the great book in the Bible for revival? So let's look at Leviticus uh, chapter 6. And when we look at Old Testament books, remember, we always look at the writings of the Old Testament through the lens of a New Testament reality. Does that make sense? When you read the Old Testament, you're putting on the lens of new covenant truth. You look through the blood of Jesus when you're interpreting the Old Testament. That's how how it works. So in the pages of the Old Testament, there's a lot of revealed truth that's there as we look through as God unpackages this for us. So Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8. Let me read it for us and then pray. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command... These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar, hearth, throughout the night till morning. And the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others, And carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. You're thinking, what in the world is that have to do with it? All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, we recognize that every word, every word in the Bible is true, worthy to be taught, worthy of instruction. So Spirit of the living God, in these next few moments we have together, Lord, in the way that all you can do, Spirit of God, take that which you have locked up in my heart and somehow convey it through my words, Lord, that we might be a people ready, prepared, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're going to do, Lord. Each and every one of us, man, woman, child, regardless of any limitation that man has put upon us individually, Lord, what you want to do among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you are old enough where you grew up with a wood stove in the house? Anybody remember or maybe you had a wood stove that your parents decided not to use, them. the big stove that you just used. Remember that? Wood stoves, right? Boy, some now, if you grew up with a wood stove and you really depended upon one, it wasn't just there for like a, like a you know, cool effect. But you remember, it took a lot of work to keep that sucker going. You had to what? You had to feed it. You had to continually feed. It took a great deal of work to keep the fire going. It may have cut back on on the fuel bill, but man, a lot of work, a lot of time and attention was given to this. In the tabernacle, in this passage, in the book of Leviticus, we find out one of the primary duties of the priests was to make sure the fire did what? not go out. It's repeated three times in that passage. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Now, before you think, well, that was then, this is now. Well, I got some news for you. The apostle Peter told us in first Peter that you are a priest. You realize that? For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In other words, every one of us in here who follow Jesus also operate as part of our calling in the role of a priest. Now, don't make your kids start calling you, you know, archbishop or reverend or father when you get home. But you're a priest. Therefore, the duties of the priest in the Old Testament also speak to our responsibilities and our reality. In this New Testament reality, So, there's much to be learned and benefited from by looking at what they did. So we find out that there there are principles then, there are three principles for tending the fire of God that is laid out before us in this passage. Remember, we are creating an atmosphere for personal and corporate revival. We're not creating fire. We are what? Stewarding fire. We are feeding it. We are growing it, and we are protecting it. And the three Principles were basically simple. You got to keep the fire burning. You got to keep the fire clean. You got to keep the fire fresh. Those are the three things that we are called to do to maintain an atmosphere to experience personal revival and corporate revival inside of each and every one of us. Who knows? Atmosphere is important, yes, sir. but there's a price to pay for atmosphere. This year, um, we we took a kind of a risk and and we spent more money than we wanted to spend to rent a house on the beach for a family vacation. So we're going to spend like, like way more than we wanted to spend. But anyway, we spent it begrudging to me, but my wife, persistent, no we need to do this. And I'm like, oh no, okay, we'll just, we'll do it. How many of you how many husbands understand that if, you, if your wife wants something bad enough, it's, it's going to happen, so you might as well just absolve that and save yourself the agony of fighting? All right. Yes, honey, we'll do it. So we rent this house. We went on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And we were sort of sitting by the pool. This house had a pool on the roof, which was pretty cool. So we were all up on the roof in our, you know, lounge chairs. Michelle was right beside me, and I was looking out over my children and their wives and some of their close friends and some of our extended family we call our kids, all out there just enjoying each other, all of us together. And I just had a moment in time where I realized something. Honey, it was worth the money because we created an atmosphere for good things to happen. Amen? See, that's what it was, right? It was creating an atmosphere. I couldn't make anything happen, but by creating the atmosphere for everything to happen, oh, it was so worth the money having everybody together, talking, loving on each other, having fun, laughing, cutting up. And I just had a moment, maybe as a parent as you get older, do you ever have those moments where you just go, this is good, right? This is as it should be. So there's always a price to pay to create the right atmosphere right? But it's always worth the price. I was begrudging it early on, but I was so thankful that we did it. Ultimately, we're talking about an atmosphere in our hearts and an atmosphere around us in order to see these great things begin to happen. But atmospheres do come at great cost. Try redecorating your house. Does it come at great cost? Try putting up curtains. That alone can set you back. Atmosphere its costly. But it's worth it. The first thing, and we're going to move fairly quickly. That's one of the lies preachers always tell. Have you noticed that? We're going to move quickly. Yeah, right. The first thing, the first principle, keep the fire burning. We see this repeated in verse 9, verse 12, and verse 13. The demand for perpetual fire upon the altar shows that God desires consistent devotion, not sporadic enthusiasm. God desires consistent devotion, not sporadic enthusiasm. Most of us have a PhD in sporadic enthusiasm. We're really good at that. Get excited for a moment, and then it wanes. But the Lord set things up on such a daily basis that we are to engage Him daily. We sang earlier in the song, early in the morning, our our song shall rise to thee. Not early on the sixth day or early five days from now, but what? Daily daily. was not to go out, fanning the flame, adding the wood. Romans 12, 11 gives us an interesting word here in Greek. It doesn't come out in English, but the definition in Greek is interesting. Romans 12:1, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Everybody say fervor. Fervor. Fervor, fervor in Greek is the word zeo, and it's the word used to boil water. It was a very normal word to use to go put a kettle on the stove and zeo it. Right. Boil the water. So spiritual fervor then has to do with keeping the heat going and increasing to be able to boil the water. Now let me give you three quick things that I believe are, are, are critical for us to be able to keep the fire burning in all of our lives. Number one, an ever-increasing hunger. An ever-increasing hunger. One of the things that the enemy desires to do is rob you of your hunger for God. Is that we would be so satiated on the things of the world that there's just not room for him anymore. But we got to increase our hunger. How do you increase your hunger? God's a consuming fire. That means the more you feed that fire, what does the fire demand? More, doesn't it? The more you feed the fire, the more the fire rages and makes the demand of more. In other words, it is an endless perpetual thing of great centrifugal force that keeps moving in your life as you begin to feed the fire of God. So, in other words, initially, you may only put on one stick, but guess what? The fire is going to require then two sticks next time. But many of us don't feed the fire. Therefore, it remains as a little flicker in our life, not influencing us. You've got to take some initial steps. In other words, discipline, right? Some initial conscientious steps that I am going to begin to feed the fire in your life, to begin increasing the hunger. Part of that, and I'll tell you what my prayer for myself is, and for each one of us as a part of this church family, is that we would all have a pioneer spirit. A pioneer spirit. What does a, a, a pioneer do? Does a pioneer ever settle down? No, man. I mean, the pioneer they're trailblazers. Pioneers want to go and they want to take new territory. But what a pioneer will never do is build a big four-story house and a mansion in that one spot. What happens if somebody with a pioneer spirit does that? They start getting restless. Got to sell the house, got to move, got to move, got to move, got to move. I mean, some of you are naturally born with a pioneer spirit. You've never really called it before, but that's what you got. You got this anxiousness in you that doesn't want to settle down. Can I tell you that harnessed under the fruits of the Spirit, can be one of your greatest assets. Never accept status quo. Never get too happy in one place with God very long. He's calling you to move forward, to move forward. I pray that every single one of us gets gripped by a pioneer spirit because God is an inexhaustible reservoir. There's no bottom to his glory. Do you understand that? The deeper you go, the deeper he becomes you will never get to the end of who he is. Some of you perhaps ask the question, how is heaven? we got all of eternity. Is it going to get boring? Really? Do you think it's going to get boring in heaven? Remember, time has no meaning in heaven. There's no past. There's no present. There's just simply the eternal now. We exist in the eternal now of a God who is without bottom. So in us and our resurrected bodies, able to explore the unsearchable recesses of a God without end, can you imagine? You think you ever get bored? He never ends. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's never going to end. So this is the this is who this is who God is and this is why hunger is so important because with him you're never gonna get full. Because there's always more. And the more you feast upon him, the word says that we are being changed from glory to glory. Ever wonder what that was all about? Is the outward man is wasting away, but we're being transformed from glory to glory? What's happening? That your spiritual capacity for him is growing and growing for more of his glory. That's what's happening. In other words, it is perpetual. It is infinite, not bound or measured by the time and space that we live in. In other words, there's always more of him than your capacity allows for. Hey man, that's good, isn't it? There's more of him, but many of us are still just around our little bitty campfire. You need to like throw some wood on it, and it's going to force you to put the rocks a little wider around it to expand your capacity for more fire in your life. We must have an ever increasing hunger and a pioneer spirit that's perpetuating our spiritual growth. This will happen as a byproduct as you begin to feed the fire of God. You begin to do it, it's just going to happen all by itself. It's going to demand more and more and more and more. Number two, or B, a priority of prayer. Priority of prayer. To keep the fire burning, we must be a praying people. We must be a praying people. Can't unpack it as much now, but listen, prayer has everything to do with relationship with Him, intimacy and identity, and also there is the work of prayer. There's the relationship part of prayer, and there's the work of prayer. Two sides of prayer you need to get. Relationship precedes prayer work. Identity precedes assignment. Okay, When we are understanding who we are in Him, then there's a work of prayer as we begin to pray and do spiritual warfare on behalf of those that you love and those that you know and behalf of the work of God. Prayer must be a, pri- a priority, but the two different aspects of that. There's a relational part that speaks to identity, and then there's the work of prayer where we dig up and we begin to cooperate with God on what He's doing in the world today. Prayer the next thing is make disciples. Make disciples. In order to keep the fire burning, you got to spread the fire. That's part of adding wood to it, right? We got we to prioritize making disciples, not just getting people saved. Part of the reason the church is in the shape she's in in this country is that we've done good at getting people saved, but we have not discipled people. And When you don't disciple people, what happens? You leave them open for what? You leave them for, for, for error or for or for incomplete teaching. We don't close the circle. Discipleship closes the circle, doesn't it? Who you are and who God is. And we begin to close the circle because if there's a gap in the circle of people with discipleship, what tends to get in? Nature abhors a vacuum. And oftentimes what typically gets in is stuff that's not good. The good stuff doesn't find its way into the gap. The bad stuff finds its way into the gap. Bad stuff gets in error gets in. Thus sometimes people then come into the kingdom of God, they ingest some error, it becomes what you call spiritual birth defects. and their Christianity is measured by that. Making disciple is giving people the whole truth. One of my great frustrations of life is watching Christian TV. I don't get mad very often. But I do get mad watching Christian TV, just a, just, a, just a slight confession. I sit there and sometimes my blood boils because you watch some of these preachers on there and it's not what they're saying is untrue, it's half true. It's half true. And the danger of half truths are they sound really good but you haven't closed the circle. And the whole counsel of God, rightly dividing the word of truth, must always be a centerpiece in our priority of teaching and disseminating and studying scripture. We need the whole package. We need to complete the circle. So we are impervious to the deceptions and the lies that exist today. Listen, they're out there, everywhere. Talk to people. False beliefs and strange things that somehow have gotten in and polluted the gospel. Making disciples is essential in propagating and sustaining revival throughout. Not just getting people saved like a conveyor belt. No, we got to make disciples. That takes a great deal of intentionality. Moving quickly. Keeping the fire burning. Number two, we are called to keep the fire clean. Keep the fire clean. This is the part that oftentimes doesn't get enough attention. Because what happens is, is as you read through this passage in Leviticus, one of the primary duties of these priests were to get the ashes off of the fire, to get the ashes off, because ashes keep a fire from burning cleanly. Ashes come from what? What will not be burned up completely, right? That's what's left behind. In other words, ashes from a fire will not ascend upward, right? Ever seen a fire and you see the ashes kind of bubble up for a little bit, but what happens? They ultimately come right back down. Oh, the ashes then were to be taken outside of the fire, outside of the camp, and discarded. A fire will burn brightest and hottest when it is kept free from ashes. So part of protecting the fire and the work of God in your heart and in my heart and us as a body of believers in this region is so we have to protect the fire of God from ashes. That's all our sign, by the way. It's not the church, Gestapo, that runs around. No. It's all of our duty to protect the fire in us and the fire around us. There's two fires that need to be protected the one in us and the world, and the one around us. That's what God is doing. The first one is give you three quick things here preserve unity, preserve unity. You're familiar with this passage in Ephesians 4. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I memorized that verse a long time ago, but never read beyond. Okay, I got I to live a life worthy of my calling. What does that mean? Well, I got to yeah, not drink, not chew, not go with girls that do, duh, 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 and just keep running on the list, right? But you realize that's not the context of this passage. In other words, Primarily to live a life worthy of your calling is to do what? Look, Paul even defines it for us. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Therefore, a large part of walking in a manner worthy of our calling is to be a people who protects the unity of the Spirit and the unity in the body of Christ. Well, the enemy wants to, wants to stop unity quicker than anything else. And when you see it in you or when you see it in others, manifesting itself as maybe gossip or murmuring or the many different ways this can manifest itself. Those are ashes, and those ashes will stifle the fire of God in you, and it will stifle the fire of God in others. We've got to deal with ashes quickly, succinctly. They will not be burned up. They will stay there. And guess what happens over time? They stay there, they stay there, they stay there, and they'll ultimately destroy the fire of God. Ashes are not to be trifled with. We must deal with them quickly. Preserve unity. The second one, we need to offense-proof our hearts. We need to offense-proof our hearts. If we keep our individual hearts clean, our house will be clean. Don't have time here, but listen, if I could shout it from the rooftops, and I could take body pain, pain on my back. I'd say, offense proof your heart. It's the greatest spiritual discipline you'll ever implement in your life is to don't become offended. John Bevere calls it the bait of Satan himself. In other words, Satan will set a bait to trap you, to ensnare you, and it's offense. If he can get you to become offended, then all oh, he's got the hook and he's ready to set it. And can I tell you, there's no shortage of opportunities to become offended. Every day and twice on Sunday, right? There is opportunity to become Do not allow yourself to ever begin to pick up and ingest an offense because it will pollute your heart and set you on a path toward unforgiveness and bitterness and rage and all assortment of things the enemy wants to do to stifle the fire of God in your life. Train yourself. Think for a moment somebody wrongs you, somebody offends you, knowingly or unknowingly. Don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. Just walk away and bless them in Jesus' name and just keep on going because it is a great tool of the enemy. Offense proof your heart. In other words, don't have a hard heart and soft skin. Have tough skin and a soft heart. That's what you want. Pray for tough skin, soft heart. Offense proof your heart. Number three on this one. To protect the work of God. To keep it clean. Safe and sacred ministry. Safe and sacred ministry. This needs to be a house where we meet for services. Where we meet for prayer times. Whether it's in large corporate gatherings or whether it's in the counseling room. That ministry here is going to be safe and it's going to be sacred. Safe and sacred. Those people can experience God in a safe way and in a sacred way. Listen, I come from a particular tribe that didn't always adhere to this it was not safe and it wasn't sacred it was like ringling brothers and the clowns or the elephants might trample you no i mean listen we want god to move in the in the in the organic way he moves but there's a way to do it in such a way where it is safe and it is sacred very few churches across the landscape have been able to have all things being done in decency and order like first corinthians 14 bears out for us It's easy to do one or the other, but all things are going to be done by decency and order. Safe and sacred as we minister to people and help people come into the fullness of the Spirit of God. God's going to be using many of you in this place to lead people to Jesus, to disciple people, to impart unto them what you have and to give it to them. That's a very sacred task, isn't it? That's a really big deal how we're going to begin to affect people's lives in this place and outside this place, and particularly outside this place. Keep it safe. Keep it sacred. It keeps the fire burning. Keep it burning. Keep it clean. Lastly, keep the fire fresh. Keep the fire fresh. The fire was to be tended daily because the sacrifices were to be offered daily in the morning, and Exodus 29 says it was also being done in the evening as well. In other words, they couldn't let it go. It was in the context of a 24-hour. Your Christian life can be measured in a 24-hour period of time. Can I tell you that? That's how you measure your Christian life. Not next week or next month. What is your life like in any given context in a 24-hour period? That's why Jesus said, pray this way. Give me this day my what? Daily bread. Lord, give me this day my 30 years retirement put in a safe IRA. No, in other words, our walk is defined in the course of one day. Because it only takes one day of not tending the fire for the fire began to diminish in your life. Listen, as the fire diminishes, what diminishes with it? Heat and light, doesn't it? That's what diminishes. What's fire do? It provides warmth and it provides insight. Light where you can see. You go one day, the fire has diminished. And all of a sudden, then the demands of that fire, the hunger Of that fire begins to diminish as well and require less and less and less and that's why many believers only walk around with a candlestick and not a raging forest fire because we don't view our life in the context of a 24-hour day what you do in 24 hours is essential for your life and for my life it can't be based upon sunday morning i've had people tell me in the past oh i can't wait to get to church on sunday so i can get my tank full please if you are expecting me to fill your tank you are going to leave empty it really is. You're going to leave with just a just a little few drops in your tank. Your tank was never designed to only be filled once a week. Maybe your car is that way, or your Hyundai's that way. But listen, not my Jeep, unfortunately, but maybe your Honda is. Every day, every day, get a stick on it, get a fan the flame, ignite the flame, keep it fresh. It's got to be fresh. Let me give you three things very quickly here. Expect. New and fresh. Expect new and fresh. Because God is always new and fresh. Remember, He's deeper than you are. He knows things that you don't. Now let me give you something. You need to write this down. It's on the screen. This is, this, is, this is what I have to remind myself of. If it is new to you, it doesn't automatically mean it's not true. If it's new to you, it doesn't mean it's automatically not true. Many of us have been programmed by a religious system to where we see something we don't understand or we don't know, and it's new to us, and we immediately say, that can't be true, it must not be of God. I've done that before. I haven't experienced that, therefore it must not be of God. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's not true, because God is into new and fresh things. Just because it's new to you doesn't mean it's new, right? Right? I am not the judge and jury and executioner of spirituality in the world. I don't have the context to evaluate that. God is into doing new stuff, fresh stuff, exciting stuff. He loves to do that kind of stuff. It's new, it's fresh. This past week we went to the students we went with some students to Six Flags. One of the great things about Six Flags is front seat on Goliath. One of the greatest things Short of heaven, that's one of the greatest things on, on, on earth, all right? And so, you know, you, you're getting used to riding that, so you know what? I'm going to do something new this time. I'm going to sit on the edge seat, and I'm going to lift my hands up the entire ride. Oh, you know what? It was as close to rapture as I've ever experienced. It took the ride to a whole nother level, man. It just felt like, Lord, I'm ready right now. Just take me. It was just that good, Right? And that's just a temporal thing. In other words, God wants to you to step into the newness and freshness of what he wants to bring into your life. Our God is not stale. So many of our gods that we've limited himself to, the box that we have put him in, we've eaten those crackers before. They've grown stale to us. They've grown understandable. They've grown normal. And man, God is not going to fit in our box, is he? Let him kick the walls out and experience the newness. Isaiah 48, 6 says, you have heard these things, look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to experience more things that I I don't understand. I'm ready for God to blow my mind and stand in awe of him and look at what he wants. This is what God is inviting us into. Amen. Within the parameters of Scripture, absolutely. But there's a wide breadth of room in the context of the Bible. Read your Bible and you'll find out God's doing some pretty extraordinary, ununderstandable things, isn't He? Revelation 21.5 gives us this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is into new. God is into fresh. Secondly, be willing to risk. Be willing to risk. There's no way to play it safe and be part of the Great Commission. We live in a generation of great safety consciousness than we ever have. It's not a bad thing. We're seeing kids walk around on leashes these days at malls. I mean, who would have thought about that when I was a kid? Kids on a leash. I mean, it's, it's actually brilliant, quite frankly, but I mean, we. Kids on a leash. I was at a store recently and this parent had 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 each child on an individual leash. And it was one leash that broke off in two parts and two kids are walking along. I thought it was like a like a carriage or something, you know, get up in your it's like a <laughs> We live in a safety, I mean, think about it, how safety, you got a double buckle, triple buckle. I mean, it's unbelievable. We want to be so safe today. We have to pray for our kids to be safe. Yes, I'm all for safety. But at some point, safety moves beyond reasonable and emerges out of fear, right? A lot of the safety things come out of a spirit of fear, not out of a spirit of wisdom, doesn't make any sense, some of this stuff. In other words, if, if we're going to be the radical followers of Jesus Christ, we can't play it safe. What might be on the line is your reputation. What might be on the line is your finances. In other words, be willing to run the risk. It's all right, Lord, if you ask me to do it, I'll do it. And Jesus said, You know, what? I think you're right. If you want to follow me, you what? Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. You're laying down all rights to anything that you have, it all belongs to Him. What a safe place to be, though. That's a good place to be, isn't it? Under His leadership. Yes, pray for the safety of your kids, but beyond that, pray that you make them dangerous for the kingdom of God. I got a son now in Uganda. Ask some if you have kids there. Lord, I want him to be safe, but more than that, I want him to be dangerous for the for the kingdom of darkness in that place. And whatever that means, or however that's defined. Man, we all gotta die, don't we? But boy, would it be nice to die going out doing something for Jesus, right? Aren't you glad people didn't play it safe? Because if those 120 believers in the upper room had played it safe, they would have stayed right there. They would have kept the church right in Jerusalem. But it didn't happen, right? God inserted a little bit of persecution through Nero, drove them out, and and they went. God's not called us to play it safe. Be willing to risk. Risk it in your finances. Risk it in your relationship. Risk it, risk it, risk it. The, The stakes are high in people's lives to hear the truth of the gospel. Even if it means losing your reputation, but you know what you're going to find? More people are interested in what you have to say than you think they are. We have bought a lie that people are just going to shut the door in our face. Listen, you're not the Kirby salesman knocking the door. I mean, listen, you have something way better than that, the gospel, and even something better than that, you got the Spirit of God going before you, preparing hearts. People are way more receptive than you think they are. And lastly, and similar to this, share your faith. Share your faith. How you keep it fresh? You share your faith. Give it away before it becomes stale. Give the bread away before it becomes stale. This isn't just for you to eat. It's for you to give it away. Jesus multiplies bread and fish for a purpose, not just to feed this belly, but to feed others as well. Other words, the more you give it away, the more he multiplies it back to you, and you become a vessel. But many of us live stale lives because we've not given away the bread we've received. Freely you've received, freely give. Other words, the compassion that he has shown us, we in turn show the compassion out to others. Amen. So in these things we see the atmosphere that we can cultivate in our own hearts and the life of our body. So as God begins to move in us, through us, with us, around us, the fire is ever going to expand and we will fulfill the destiny that God has for us. The worship team can come and get ready. We'll land the plane. James, in the book of Acts, was preaching a sermon and and he began to reference the life of King David. And he said of King David, some words that um, convict me, haunt me to some degree. But they're a, a mentor for me. This is what was said of King David. David died. The latest body in the earth. And he rotted. That's the, that's the gist of it. But it says he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. We're all going to die. Short of the rapture. We're all going to die. This flesh in you is going to go into the grave or go into a crematorium. That's the end result of this thing. But what will be said of us? That Dustin Pennington fulfilled his purpose in his generation. That's the eulogy. That's the epitaph. That's the thing we must strive for above all else. Lord, I want to fulfill what you've asked me to do. I want to complete the race, not just start it. We can all start the race. We're all good starters, aren't we? We're great starters. Look I bet I can walk in any of our house right now and find lots of starts. Lots of starts all over your house. But the finishes, that's the deal.